as you heard, my name is Ayabonga Jonas. Um, I'm actually originally from PE, just moved to Utnag, then came back to Kobecha. Uh, I mean, this is home, come on. I'm sure you all agree, this is home, the best city in the world. Just putting that out there, you can quote me on it if you want to. Um, so, I am married, yes, uh, to an amazing woman, she's sitting right here in the front, Karen. I don't say she's the, my better half, she's just the part that compliments me the best, you know. When God, you know how God said, Adam, something's not okay here, so you go to sleep, I'll pull out a rib and make someone. That was my eve in the process, so I thank God for every single day. Um, we've been in this ministry game for a very, very, very long time, and Matt alluded to that earlier. Um, sorry, Mike, sorry, Mike. Uh, Mike alluded to that earlier. And... Um, Funny enough that he, that he brought it up, it actually ties in quite well with my message tonight. Um, there's a story that I want to tell you. Um, so in the very beginning of our youth ministry days, um, it was Karen, myself, and you know Thomas who plays bass? So Thomas is also part of the team back then. He actually was heading up the team at that point in time. So the three of us were getting all excited about youth ministries. Friday night, we're ready. You know, we're looking forward to it. You guys know how it is on a Friday night? No? We're excited. There we go. There's the youth. I was looking for you. We're excited. You know, we're ready. We're amped up. We're like, you know what, guys? Tonight's going to be an amazing night. So back then we had just a handful of guys, about 20 or so of us that used to come. Used to come. Past tense. So we set our chairs um, in, the, in the hall that was next to the church back then. Um, and we were waiting. So looking at the time, it's almost time to start. No one's around. We're like, yo, okay. Normally guys rock up like, 10, 20 minutes early, just to get settled. And um, we put out all the chairs. So now it's just the three of us and a room of empty chairs. It stayed that way for the better part of an hour, waiting. And this is now an after, this is an hour after youth was supposed to start. And I kid you not, in that moment, we could have had a million different responses. I mean, you can imagine coming in, you're ready to serve, and it's empty, no one comes. No one says a message, hey guys, sorry, we can't make it, or running late, nothing, no word. So thoughts start running through our minds, and Thomas stands up and is like, guys, let's be bold. Let's start praying over these empty chairs. So we're like, okay, yeah, cool. We love Jesus, we're crazy spiritual, let's do it. Why not? Let's do it. So we start laying hands on empty chairs, things are getting wild. Trusting God for a miracle, we're like, Lord, you know you're going to fill this house I saw him saying this prayer. I remember this distinctly. I was like, Lord, in fact, you're not just going to fill this room. You'll fill this church with so many young people that this hall we're in right now will be too small to hold them, that we have to move. So I'm going to fast forward to the end of that particular journey, just when my wife and I retired from youth ministry. Uh, when we, uh, okay, the youth was call, is, is called Fuel Youth Ministry at Elam Church. Look them up. They're awesome. They're amazing. Um, when we left Fuel Youth Ministry, we had over 300 kids uh, who were coming to serve, coming, looking for Jesus. And it was amazing. It was amazing. We had a core team of about 50 people, all of them just out of this world. And just a beautiful testimony, isn't it? But why I said that ties in so well with my message tonight is, well, you'll see in a second. It made me think, you know what, Lord? When we were waiting for you, a million things could have happened. We could have decided, eh, no one's coming, let's pack up, let's go. Right? That could have been a normal, and it would have been an okay response, right? Would have been completely human, completely normal, it's fine, it's Friday. Full disclosure, 
We should have known better. It was the, con the what is it, carnival, what is it? The carnival, eh? the Utenek carnival. So the biggest event in Utenek, basically, that night. So maybe we should have been like, okay, carnival, it's probably gonna be empty, but that's besides the point, you know? Um, but our response was very significant. Our response was very significant. It made me think that there must be something in the waiting that we don't know about yet. So tonight we're gonna have a look at two particular scriptures in the Gospel of Mark. Um, the first one is in Mark 4. Oh, that looks good. Oh, sorry, it's the first time I'm seeing that. That looks, that looks awesome. Thank you so much, production, that is amazing. My goodness. Um, the first scripture is in Mark 4, um, verse 35 to 40. And then the second one will be Mark 5. But let's have a look at the first one. So, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat <clears throat> and started out leaving towards, uh, leaving the crowds behind them, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Imagine asking Jesus if he doesn't care, but okay. When Jesus woke up, <laughs> he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I want you to keep that question in mind. We'll, we'll get back to it later. Um, the next scripture is Mark 5. All right, now I'll just give you a bit of context right now. So at this point in time, we're going to be introduced to a guy named Jairus who comes and asks you something. We'll read that shortly. And I'm going to skip a couple of verses in the middle, not because it's not important, but because I want to draw your attention to a couple of different things. So let's start reading. Verse 22. Then a leader of the local synagogue, uh, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And then we skip to verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. I'm going to pause there for a second. I mentioned before there's a bit that I missed in the middle. That bit that, that, bit that I missed, I'm sure you've all heard of it. The woman with the issue of blood reaches out and touches the cloak of um, the hem of Jesus' cloak and then she gets healed. Right? So just for some clarity, all of that happens in between a particular, well, while Jesus and Jairus are on a mission. Okay, so Jairus comes to Jesus, pleads with him, we have to save, our, save my daughter. On the way there, everything else happens. Okay. Um, let's just pray for a second. We'll get into the word in a second. So, Father, we just want to thank you for this word. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, that you are blessed and that it's blessed us. Father, we pray that truly it would accomplish what you have set it out to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. So, my first point tonight is titled, Something is Spoken. Something is Spoken. So, this is one of the first things we see in both of these particular chapters. In Mark 4, Jesus gives an instruction. He tells the disciples, let's go. 
That was an instruction, right? Let us go to the other side of the lake. So what is the mission? We are leaving from point A, we are finishing at point B, point B being the other side of the lake. In Mark 5, Jairus came and asked the question, Jesus, could you please come and heal my daughter so she can live? We are leaving from where we are here and you are coming with me to heal my daughter. So something is always spoken in the beginning of our, of our journeys. Um, but more importantly, in both of these instances, whether it was Jesus who gave the instruction or Jairus who pleaded with him, the response that Jesus gave is always the same because he always goes with you. So he gave the instruction and then the next word says, then they got onto the boat with Jesus. Right? The next verse, which we didn't read in, in, in um, verse 24, says that Jesus and Jairus started going. How crazy is that? So something is always spoken in the beginning of our journey, and every single time that happens, Jesus is with us. And I couldn't help to think, isn't that how life is? At the beginning of any big venture, any big journey, any big first step moment, we are so consciously aware that he's with us. We're so aware of it, like we get excited. I mean, I know, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who got saved a million times, who, got, who came up to, for prayer like a thousand times, I lost count, you know, altar call comes, who would like to give that to Jesus, I was like, that's me. And then again, five weeks later, it's still me. A couple of weeks later again, it's still me, right? But it's amazing how every single time where that journey begins, you get the fire in your belly and you can't help it. And you know, you know, you know, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am walking with the Lord. But every time that happens, strangely enough, you can count it like clockwork. Every single time, you're like, man, okay, I'm on mission now. Jesus, you and me, we're about to do some big things. Something always comes up. Something always comes up. In the first case, we see they encounter a fierce storm. Now, the purpose of the storm can be interpreted in many different ways. Right? If you are on a boat and a storm comes up, in most cases, you're going to freak out because you're thinking, I'm not going to make it to the other side. It's not going to happen anymore. Right. Um, <clears throat> in the case of Jairus, as they left where they were, the crowd that was with them before actually pressed in on them. So they actually crowded them even more. So now you're trying to get from here to the door and all of a sudden a thousand people appear in front of you and you're like, well, how am I going to get there now? But every single time we start our journey with Jesus, something always comes up that tries to slow us down. And at first it might look as though, man, this is trying to stop me. Get out my way, obstacle. Move. Right? That, that's, our, that's our impression half the time. This thing must get away so I can continue, isn't it? This obstacle must move so that I can continue. The storm must stop so I can continue. The crowd must disappear so that I can continue. But something's interesting here. Something's very, very fascinating. So I'm going to continue my notes over here. Um, Firstly, both of these things are things that no one could control. No one was sitting over there saying, hey, I wonder what would happen if I just decide to say storm come and then storm came. No. And just as much, um, this as much as, as that's the case, no one decided, well, if I click my fingers, all of a sudden there'll be a crowd that pops up. It was out of Jairus' control, it was out of the disciples' control. None of them could control what happened. Well, except for Jesus, obviously which we'll read about later. 
but the only thing that they could control was their response to it. And we read something very interesting going forward because, well, as we read with the disciples, they enter a little freak out moment, which we'll, we'll jump into. But Jairus' response is slightly different. So I believe that what um, Mark is trying to illustrate in this place, as I mentioned beforehand, is our response determines the next step. How we respond to the proverbial storms or the pressing crowds determines what happens next. Right? <clears throat> Which brings us to the very next observation. Something must be still. Right? So we started off with what? Something's always spoken, and every time that happens, something comes up, and something must be still. And by still, I mean silent, quietened, paused, hold on, shush. Um, on the boat, we see that the disciples get into a panic. They encounter this huge storm. They fear for their lives. So much so that they're shouting at the boat, they're super concerned, uh, shouting at Jesus, do you not care about us? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Quite frankly, they are so concerned with what's happening to them that for a brief moment in time, they forget who is with them. They're so concerned with the storm. They're so concerned with what's surrounding them, so concerned with that proverbial obstacle that it must be moved out of the way before they continue that they forget, hold on, but Jesus is sleeping on the boat. He's right here the whole time. And now for further context, it's not like they didn't know that he could do something about it. Because before he, came, he jumped on the boat, they had spent a whole day watching Jesus perform miracle after miracle. It, it wasn't a, a surprise. Oh, wow, okay, Jesus, so can you, you know? No. Jesus was healing people left and center before that. Okay? And... In this whole scenario, Jesus' response is to say what? He gets up, and I figure he's probably a bit upset, probably irritated, like, guys, I was sleeping. Really? I know how I am when I wake up and I haven't had my coffee yet. It's not a good sight. So I feel like in that moment, he's like, yo, really, guys? Are you being serious right now? But he wakes up and he's like, seas, so waves, wind, shush. Silence, be still. So he then decides to silence the thing that the disciples' eyes were on the whole time because they forgot that he was there. But he rebukes whatever the issue was, which in any case he was going to do. I mean, let's not, let's not pretend he wasn't going to do it. He was going to do it regardless. But I want to take a moment and have a look at what Jairus does. And this really hit me hard when I read it because I was like, yo, Wow. Lord, I pray, I, I wish you would give me the courage this guy had. I wish you'd give me the heart that Jairus has. What Jairus does is he chooses to remain silent. If you read um, from verse 24 to about 34, what you see is we're introduced to the woman with the issue of blood. They're busy walking. Someone reaches out, touches Jesus' cloak. He stops because he feels power leaving him. Now remember, there's a massive crowd around him. You can't identify what the person is. So he stops for a brief moment, starts looking for, well, who touched me? 
Where are you? What did you who touched me? I feel someone, I feel that something something has left me, something's different. And he goes through an interrogation process where he's trying to isolate whoever did this. Once the woman admits what she did, they then stand there a bit longer while she explains why. Now you can imagine how much time is passing in this process, right? So much time, in fact, that as I mentioned before in the scripture reading, messengers from Jairus' house come to tell him, listen, Jairus, dude, your daughter's dead. The sole reason, the sole purpose you were on this journey, it's gone. You came out here to ask Jesus to come and heal your daughter, but now your daughter's dead. So stop bothering him. It's done. And this entire time, not once, I didn't see it in any of the Gospels because the story is repeated a couple of times. Not once, not once is it mentioned that Jairus responded by saying, he's quiet. He remains silent. He chooses to be still. And he waits. Now, there's a bit, of, there's a bit more significance in that. You see, how Jairus chooses to be still and wait, is, it's very simple. He's walking with Jesus and he recognizes that. His obstacles come up and he recognizes that too. His response to the obstacles is to wait on his king. In Psalms we read, be still and know that I am God. So his decision in the moment was, well, yes, I realize that maybe, just maybe, if I choose to, well, not freak out about this. If I choose to freak out about these things that are happening, Lord, this is urgent, my daughter, like we have to go now, it's, it's urgent, it has to happen now, right? Like right now, Lord, I need this financial breakthrough now. Lord, I need, I need a new car right now. I need a new job right now. Right now, right? You know how urgent we are. But he realizes, but hold on. If I just wait just a little bit longer, because this whole time he can see what Jesus is doing. He's standing there, walking with Jesus. He's witnessing what Jesus is busy doing. He's witnessing something happening while he's waiting. So in both of these instances, the initial purpose of the journey, in other words, the destination at the point of departure, in both of the cases is still reached. The disciples make it to the other side of the lake, as intended. Right? If we read on, and if you know anything about the story of Jairus, Jairus' daughter does live at the end of the story, which was the intention, wasn't it? So the only difference really is what happened in the middle, isn't it? Because the one thing we can all say is our king always completes what he starts. So he said, let's go to the other side, and they got to the other side. Jairus came and saying, Jesus, please heal my daughter. Lay hands on her so she can live. And Jairus' daughter lives because our king completes what he starts every single time. <clears throat> but what we see in, in, in this particular con um, context is that our response to whatever shakes us, so shake like shake, is inevitably what shapes us. How the disciples responded from a space of fear, even though they knew that Jesus was there. 
how they responded by not recognizing that, hey, but I'm still with my king. I'm still walking with Jesus. That inevitably shaped how they responded later. Because if you read the next scripture, it says, um, in Mark 4.41, it's not up there, but I'll just start it. They were absolutely terrified. So they just saw Jesus calm the storm in their response to all of this. Because initially they didn't see him. Now that they see him working, they're not living in a space of, oh, okay, thank you, Lord, this is amazing, cool. No, no. They were absolutely terrified. Because what shook them is still shaking them. It didn't stop. But we don't see the same thing happen to Jairus. And as I mentioned beforehand, my last point is actually the title of the message. What Jairus shows us is that there's genuinely something in the waiting. There's something that happens in that in-between, in that uncertain space, you know, where you said yes in the beginning and you're still making your way to the end. Something happens and something significant in that particular space. So after Jairus receives the news, which I, I believe is crippling, I mean, um, I'm not a parent yet, but I, I can only imagine what hearing that your daughter just died would do to you. I, I, I can only imagine. After he receives this news, I feel the, 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 the feeling of defeat is kind of, it, 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 it's, it's obvious. He feels empty. And I think even Jesus notices this because as soon as he hears the news, he looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus looks at Jairus and encourages him. And I want to create that contrast once again. Remember how after he calmed the storm, he looked at his disciples and asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still not believe? You see, our response will also shape how Jesus responds to us. There's something crazy in that because if we choose to stay and wait and be still and know that he's God in every circumstance, not just the ones that suit us, then his response to us is never going to be one of a question. It's never going to be one of, oh, I'm not sure if you're really committed to me, but okay. Hey, you've been walking with me for a long time, but do you still not believe? Are you still, why are you afraid? You've seen me done this before. Cyrus hadn't. But because he took a second, I was like, I'm going to watch what this guy does. You know, I'm walking with him to my daughter, but I'm going to watch what he does. I'll just be quiet and watch. He's seeing him heal a woman without even trying. I've always been blown away by that miracle, by the way. Jesus is walking. It happens more than once, by the way. He's walking. Someone touches him and they are healed. He wasn't trying to. And he turns around and says, because you believed you're healed. And right after that, news comes, he responds to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. You see, something special happens when we wait on the Lord, and I'm sure you've heard this before. It's a beautiful song about wait on the Lord. You all know it, no? Because he will renew your strength. Just wait, I say, we know that song. Something happens when we wait on the Lord, but more specifically, when we wait in his presence. 
Because when you're waiting in his presence and then the storms come up, the crowds come up, the chaos ensues, all the random things that pop up that kind of try to take our attention away from him, it's easy for us to recognize our master's voice. So he doesn't have to ask us a question. He just has to give it an instruction. You see, a question makes you think. If I ask you, how are you? You have to think about your response before you give it to me, correct? But imagine if I walked up to you and told you, hey, Mike, you're good. Even if you had any other thoughts in your mind at that particular point, there's no room for you to actually make another move, is there? I've already decided for you what you are. And when Jesus instructs Cyrus, don't be afraid. Just believe. He removes any other question that Jairus could have had. Because Jairus was still in the waiting. So in this middle space, we see something happen. With just those two words, something changes in Jairus. Whereas he just received crippling news, he finds new strength to continue on a journey, even though someone and other people believe that it's pointless. He finds new strength because he continues. He goes on with Jesus back to his house. There's still a crowd outside. They're all mourning. They're crying. They're wailing. Jesus asked them, why are you crying? This child is in bed. She's sleeping, and they laugh at him because they don't know. They don't know what Jairus knows. Suffice it to say, Jesus kicks them out afterwards, but yeah, he does that sometimes. Flips tables in temples, kicks people away. You know, that's how it is. But more significant, I think it's more obvious, in this period while he was waiting, Tahiris had the pleasure of witnessing a healing. He had a front row seat to seeing someone coming up to Jesus with an intention. If only I just touch you. I'll be healed, right? And it happens. And then he hears the first-hand account of the whole story. He's sitting as front row seats. There were very few people back then who had front row seats to Jesus, but I had. Everyone followed him, but no one was really walking with him. There's a difference there. There were only a handful who walked with him, but everyone followed him. Like even if you read here, yeah, like beforehand, there were boats that followed. But imagine there's a huge crowd you're following. You're probably somewhere at the back over there. There's a handful of people that are somewhere in the middle. Isn't that so? So Jairus was walking with Jesus in the middle, and he witnessed this. So in the waiting, he managed to witness healing, and that, that was something beautiful. He came to ask for healing. He then witnessed healing. It wasn't the healing of his daughter in the moment, and something even bigger happens. He got a whole lot more than he bargained for just because of how he responded. something even bigger than the, than, the, than the healing itself, he got to witness resurrection. Right before his eyes. He wasn't standing outside waiting and then all of a sudden got a surprise, your daughter's alive. He got to witness resurrection. He got a first-hand account. A glimpse into what was to come. He got a glimpse into resurrection power, which all of us now know because of what Jesus did on the cross, of how he rose up again three days afterwards. See, when, when, I, when I read these two scriptures, I couldn't help but be drawn back into one of my favorite scriptures, and that's Isaiah 40, verse 31. 
And I know we've all seen it before, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You see, when we choose to wait, not just on the Lord, but wait in the Lord, we find our strength in Him. And even in those moments when it feels like we are down and out, in those moments where it feels like, man, I, have n- I don't see how I'm coming back from this, that's when Jesus is going to be the one to restore that emptiness. That's when He comes in and says, hey, hey, don't be afraid. Just believe. It's okay. I got this. Because He never stops working. We sang it tonight. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't hear it, he's working. Lord, I might be in the in-between, but I know you're working. I might not see my breakthrough yet, Lord, but I know that you are working. And if we change how we begin to wait on him, I believe that our lives are going to be different for the rest forever. So I want to encourage you tonight. If you're anything like me, right, I hate waiting. I'm not going to lie. I do not enjoy it. So when this message dropped in my spirit, I was like, Lord, okay, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know you're speaking to me now. It's fine. I get it. So I'm, I'm speaking to myself. But if you're anything like me and you get distracted by what's around you, even though you know the instruction that was given or the question that was asked, I want to encourage you. Remember, Jesus started this journey with you, and he'll be there until it's done. So even if he's quiet, it doesn't mean he's not there. Even if you don't see his hand moving right now, it doesn't mean it's not. Sometimes sitting in the middle of what you're in is exactly where you're supposed to be. One of the songs said earlier, Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but even now, he's, what? Still holy, or just holy, just as holy. Even now, he's just as holy. Because his worth, his worthiness, and his holiness doesn't shift because of our circumstances. And inherently, his power doesn't either. So be encouraged tonight. Wait on the Lord, so he can renew your strength. Amen. Thank you.